welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. We are entering into our final week of identity. So this is our fifth our fifth week about who we are as the church and to reflect upon what that means for us. And so if you haven't been here, what we've been doing over the last five weeks is talking about who we are and naming it, using words, using ideas. And so we talked about that we are sacred, that we are created in the image of God for a specific purpose. We're designated for a specific purpose. That's what makes us sacred. We are holy. We are invited into this whole new way of life. That's different than the life we once led. We are called. As we make that change into that new life, we keep our eyes fixed on what is ahead. We move forward on what it is God has placed before us. We are doers. We take the word, we welcome the word, but we put it into action. And then today, it's we are sent. Our final word is sent. Transforming the world. That's our mission as United Methodists. Make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. How many of you have heard the name Plato? All right. How many of you have heard Plato's allegory of the cave? All right. Few people. All right. I love it. I get to introduce something a little new. And I'm going to do a terrible job because it's very long, but I'm going to give you the bullet points. Okay. So the picture will help. There's a dark cave. There are people shackled together in the shadows here facing that wall. There's a half wall behind which other people that aren't shackled hold up symbols and signs that from the fire reflect upon the wall. And then we'll get to the other part in a moment. But basically, what this, what this reveals is there's a system in place where the people that are shackled, all they see is the wall before them with the light and the shadow. That is their reality. They're shackled. They can't turn around and see anything else. That is what they know. And as people do, as we all do, when we start to see patterns in the world, we start assigning meaning and understanding just like they do. They see the same symbol. And so they start to discuss among themselves about what that means. And they may even get to the point where they can predict the coming of a symbol. Maybe, maybe one symbol always precedes another. Anyway, that's their story. That's their meaning. So the allegory goes that one person breaks free, or however, and leaves the shackles goes and sees the half wall, sees the people, sees the, the smaller source of light and the fire, and makes their way out of the cave until they're standing in the sunlight. And so in the allegory, they stand into the sunlight after spending their whole life in a dark cave, and they can hardly see. It takes a long time for their eyes to adjust. But as, it, as they adjust, they start to see a whole new reality, one that puts the other one in a different perspective. Instead of two-dimensional Shadows on the wall, they see three-dimensional things, like a tree and a rock. And they start to understand their past in a different light. And so they, they grab onto this new reality and, and soak it in and understand it. But then the dilemma is, what did they do for the other people who were still in the dark? They want to share this new experience, this new wisdom. To do that, they must re-enter the dark cave, which now their, light, their eyes are not ready for. And they must go to people who are looking at a reality, the only one they know, and somehow try to convince them there's a different reality with absolutely no evidence. So the allegory of the cave. 
And this truth that they want to bring, that this person wants to bring, it contradicts the truth that the people see. And so it's dangerous work. I bring the allegory of the cave because I feel like sometimes we live this reality today. There are lots of people trying to convince us of lots of different things, using lots of different symbols and shapes and stories and narratives, and, and people can take the same moment, the same instance, the same thing, and come up with completely opposing meanings and understandings from it, right? We can look at an event, and there are people who will argue about what it means. We can look at our Scripture, the beautiful words of Scripture, and we can have completely opposing and division-causing ideas. People everywhere are claiming to be the ones in the light and claiming that everyone else is in the dark. And it gets hard to sort out what to believe, doesn't it? Much of the efforts I... It's sad, it's heartbreaking that much of the efforts we see and hear around us, maybe in our homes, maybe in our families, our community, or on the TV, much of the efforts of bringing people into the light is founded upon anger, condescension, fear. Does that sound familiar to you? It's tough to know what to think or believe. It's even tougher when you're feeling attacked. So, we can be convinced that we're in the light, and then things might happen in our life that tell us otherwise. That happens all the time. Our confusion in our culture, it's no different now than it was in Jesus' day. I'll highlight a little bit of what I mean. Many people in Jesus' day were Israelites, right? His people were Israelites. They were convinced that they were chosen by God. They were. But some of them were convinced that they were chosen and were therefore better than everyone else. And so there was a lot of conflict and tension between the Israelites and the Gentiles, everybody else. But even in Israel, in that group, there were various groups that they were all conflicting with one another. So have you heard of the Essenes? The Essenes decided that civilization, the system was all corrupt, and so the only thing they could do was leave it. So they left and went by the Dead Sea. They set up a little area there. They wrote things, and eventually we found them. We call them the Dead Sea Scrolls. But this group just decided they would separate themselves and, and live their own life. There was another group that separated themselves called the Pharisees. Have you heard of the Pharisees? We like to pick on the Pharisees. They separated themselves by saying, if you don't follow the purity codes of Leviticus, and there's a lot, then we can't eat with you, we can't associate with you, you're not one of us, you're actually a problem. Have you ever read Leviticus and read all the codes? None of us follow much of any of the codes of Leviticus. The Pharisees would not have much to do with us. Sadducees, they operated in the temple. They ran the sacrifice. They were the priests. And they had a dilemma because Rome and other forces had occupied Israel for a long time. And the only way they could keep the temple system intact at times was to compromise with the enemy. Because if you make the enemy mad, the enemy is going to destroy it. So to save it, they would compromise. And even got to the point where some of them learned there's great benefit when you compromise. And so it became collusion and corruption. And that was the system in Jesus' day. There was some that exploited people that were in already, already rough situations. Jesus flipped some tables due to this exploitation. Then there were the zealots. Have you heard of the zealots? They wielded swords. They believed that war and violence, the, the myth of redemptive violence, was the only way that God's way was going to come. And then there are the Herodians. 
those who followed King Herod, wherever King Herod decided to go, and it just really depended on where the money was as far as where King Herod would go. So in Israel, you have Rome, Herodians, Zealots, Sadducees, Pharisees, Essenes. You had Sakari and, and others all together on one place, all proclaiming different realities. And think about the poor people that weren't part of any of this, the average person. There's no internet. You can't go to Google to find the truth. That's a joke. You can't ask Siri. You can't go to the old-fashioned library and find it in books because they don't exist. And rarely did people in that day get to venture outside of their own community to see other ways the world operated. So how do you know what to believe? How do you know which reality is true? Our gospel story is birthed in this strange reality in Israel. So it's similar to us in many ways and different in many ways as well. So Jesus came and spent just a few years working and healing and living and teaching among the people facing these realities. People, some in the dark, some not. And over time, he was able to help people to see the true light, to see reality in its fullness with God. It took time. Jesus spent a few years, and still in the end, the disciples seem to kind of miss it. They get there, but it took time. They, Jesus took intention to help people see, took humility for him to invite people into this and face the resistance, and it took bravery. The world, those in the dark, those who are shackled and aren't sure about this, they hesitate to hear a new reality. We have to hear a new reality. We have to admit that ours may not be what we thought it was. That's scary. Amen? So the world resisted him. Those in the dark rejected him, and eventually they killed him. That's the risk one takes when they re-enter the darkness of the cave to offer a testimony to a bigger reality. We've all seen this. It'd be easier just to stay outside. Just enjoy the sunshine. Just do your own thing. We've received the light and just enjoy it. So we are sacred, holy, called. We are doers, but we are sent. We're going to hear from our gospel story and we're going to listen for the bigger reality proclaimed by Jesus as we hear from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And it reads, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, this is post-resurrection, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near and spoke to them, I've received all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You've heard this before, maybe, probably. Jesus stands alive before them miraculous in itself, and still some hesitated. Some were worshiping, and maybe those who hesitated or doubted weren't sure if they should worship him because they're only supposed to worship God. Their old reality said you only worship God, yet here Jesus is. And Jesus doesn't dismiss them and say, 
you all are. You haven't gotten it. Get out of here. Does he? None of that. He just says, okay, I'm going to give you the commission anyway, even as you doubt. I love that. That's so comforting for me in my time of doubt, in my time of hesitation, that I'm not going to be cast out. Jesus says, I have received all authority in heaven and on earth. This is the new reality he offers them. Now, some of us get hung up right there. Jesus' authority, if we follow this, it's not something that will happen one day. It happened 2,000 years ago on the cross. Jesus says, I have received. Not I will receive. I have received. The Greek verbs, I can promise you, are very specific. There are way more variations of verbs to land the exact point with no misunderstanding. Jesus has already received all authority in heaven and on earth. Do we believe this? Are you hesitant? Maybe say more. I'll say that we must believe this. Our identity as the church has to be founded upon this truth. We sometimes focus solely on that Jesus is the Son of God, and that, that's the make or break. Jesus is the Son of God. That's true. But we must accept that his authority is not only in heaven, but on earth now. Everything that we say and do must start on that foundation. Not only that, but let's look at verse 16 again. The disciples, it says, went to Galilee to the mountain. I know. It's exciting, isn't it? Only two times do we have a scene with Jesus and the disciples on the mountain. It may go unnoticed and it may seem like I'm reaching, but every other time a mountain is mentioned, if it's the temptation, if it's the transfiguration, these, these monumental moments, it's always on a mountain. No particular mountain. It was on a mountain that it happened. But Jesus told the disciples to meet him after the resurrection on the mountain in Galilee a specific one. The other time they stood on the mountain in Scripture was from chapter 5, when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount in Galilee, on the mountain. They're back. They're back where Jesus offered the sermon. So scholars believe the emphasis being made here on a seemingly unexciting word, the, is that Jesus says, I have all authority. And we may ask, what does that authority look like? What does it mean? Look at the last time we were here on this mountain. If authority in Jesus' way is like that of the last time they were on the mountain, then it looks like hope for the poor in spirit, for the mourning, the meek, the hungry, the merciful, the peacemakers, the pure in heart, and the persecuted. And how comforting is it to know that the persecuted have hope today? If Jesus' authority looks like it did in chapter 5 through 7, then it looks like goodness shining like light. It looks like relationships between people not tainted by anger. It looks like relationships between spouses as devoted. It looks like people being truthful and living honestly. If you say you're going to do something, do it. If you have to throw in, I swear I'll do it, no. It looks like people never retaliating against those who do evil. You hear that? Never retaliating against those who do evil. It looks like 
people loving their enemies, praying for those who persecute them. It looks like people worshiping solely for God, not for anything of their own. It looks like people giving up the love of money, like people not worrying about themselves and even the most basic needs. It looks like people not judging each other, people praying fervently for God's will and people treating others as they wish to be treated. This is the way of the kingdom. This is the reality, the reality, the full blazing sun light reality of Jesus Christ and Christ's authority. This is fullness of life, eternal life, heaven, kingdom, whatever you want to call it. And living this way is how we embrace that reality. So now that you've begun to see it, Jesus says to the disciples, our purpose isn't just to see it. Now you must go. Now we are sent. On the mountain of the sermon, Jesus announces he has authority in heaven on earth. Therefore, he says, go. Make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them to obey my way and my authority. And that is our task as the church. We have seen the light. You must have. Why else would you be here? Our eyes may still be adjusting to it. And it takes a long time. Can I get an amen? We cannot live even with what little we see, we cannot go back and live as if we're still in the dark. We can't. We cannot operate by the shapes and symbols that have been presented to us before because there's no possible way they can truly convince us of another reality. Is there? Our baptism was our public, visible, and physical sign of God's work in our lives, our acceptance of this authority. We are saying yes to the authority of God, and we are saying yes to living into it by obeying the commandments. And that's great. Oh, hallelujah. You've been baptized. And if you haven't, come talk. We'll, we'll talk about this and we'll celebrate. But then we're sent into the darkness. It's good to be here on Sundays and experience time when we get to be together. When we don't see eye to eye on stuff, it doesn't seem to matter, does it? It doesn't seem to affect our relationships. And that's nice to have this time. But we must go out there Monday through Saturday with the same sort of purpose and intention. We must be fishers of people like the disciples did, like the people that led us to this place have been for us. We must go and do likewise. Go, make, baptize, teach. The best way we can do this is to live it. Amen? So I've got three daughters. Two of them turned six today big day. Another one's three. We have a daily routine, my daughters. And if you're watching, yep, you know. Every day, they do things they shouldn't. One of them knows how to push her sister's buttons and seems to take pleasure in doing so. She knows how to push mom and dad's buttons too. The other daughter, one of them, she responds generally with getting more mad and mad until she finally hits, kicks, or pushes and, and goes into Hulk mode. Daughter number three generally responds by throwing toys and screaming and crying to mom. This is our reality. And every day I sit them down and I give, we dish out timeouts and I'll always ask them when we've talked about what they did, I'll ask, do, do you understand? Do you understand why you can't do that? And they'll respond, yeah. You know, eye rolls, yeah. And my, so I've started to respond, don't tell me you do. Show me. 
Show me you understand. So often the church looks, or the work of the church looks like more raising of symbols from behind a half wall. We, we have given so much effort in the history of the church. Um, we've tried to convince people of another reality, but rooted in anger and condescension and fear. The church is guilty of manipulation too. Amen? We've used threats. Some of us still do. We've used force. Church is killed. We use all the tools of the powers of the world, of evil, and we think, well, as long as our intention's good, that's okay. No. No. We must live into the authority of the king and no one else's. We must not start from anger and condescension and fear, but rather grace and truth and love, peace and joy and the like. We must obey Christ's commands in all that we do and everywhere we go. Only through that way can people actually start to glimpse a different reality. The one that we talk about can only be truly seen by the way we act and the way that we do. So we must do this and we must go out among the people in our lives and do this. Not to bring ourselves glory, not to be these great, wonderful people that everyone wants to be like. Rather, to let God's goodness, Jesus says, to be seen through us. We must go. And we must not just say it. We must do it. And we must do it in the world around us. We, there's going to be a cross come when you live this way. Okay? It's part of our story. You live this way, crosses will come. People will resist. They will hesitate. They will reject. They may even try to harm you. That's how it works. We trust that through the cross, through our suffering, God's reality may be seen in the exact same way that it was seen through Christ's cross. We must trust the cross. We must trust the authority. And when we do, the world will be transformed. Look what started 2,000 years ago from a backwater town in northern Israel with a bunch of fishermen who had no business preaching and speaking and doing all the things they did. Jesus began the commission that we've read today with good news of his authority on earth and heaven, and he finishes it with good news as well. He says, look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. He fulfills the promise given at the beginning of the gospel. He was going to be named Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now Jesus changes it and says, Jesus with us. I will be with you everywhere you go. Jesus leads us and joins us in our mission of the light. And if we have Christ's light with us, we need never be afraid of the dark. So go, my friends. Go upon the foundation of grace and love and Jesus Christ's authority. Make disciples. Make that your calling. Baptize them. Baptize them. Teach them how to live by the way that you do and experience the joy and the life of transforming the world in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website 
at sellersburgumc.com.